Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. How about those Phoenix Suns? One of the most mature victories that they've had all season. No Devin Booker after the seven-minute mark of the third quarter because of an ejection. Chris Paul having a somewhat pedestrian night on the box score. But it's the bench. It's the young guys. Mikel Bridges. Dario Saric. Guys like that that are getting the job done. That is one of the best wins that they've had all season, as I mentioned. Just because of the maturity of them. They didn't need their superstar players to be amazing for them to go on the road and get a victory over the Lakers at Staples Center. Lakers, by the way, We'll talk about them, I'm sure, since Brian's over on the other side. But what's up, guys? Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz, keeping it 94. Pre-All-Star edition, pre-All-Star break edition, I should say. We're about halfway to that mark of the season. Uh, We're still trying to figure out who's going to separate themselves. It hasn't changed, so that's pretty funny. Brian, what's up? Well, you mentioned that Suns win on Tuesday night against the Lakers. Two things that are kind of weird. Number one, why are the Lakers so bad at home? Because they're only 11 and eight at the Staples Center. But I think the bigger thing that comes out of that game is officiating in the NBA this season. Because for anybody that watched this game, there were some really weird things happening from the standpoint that This game got super physical really quickly in the second quarter and throughout the second half. The refs were kind of all over the place when it came to some of their calls, when it came to looking at flagrants. And on top of that, they threw out Devin Booker in one of the weirdest ways you can imagine in that the broadcast crew, because they're not there, didn't even know what was going on. And like, we had to go back through this thing, like the Zapruder tape to figure out what exactly happened to Devin Booker and why he got thrown out. And it seemed like such a dumb thing for him to get thrown out because he said something to the ref and then he bounced the ball to another ref kind of hard. And another ref saw that and said, that's it. You're out of here, which was so egregious. It was so ridiculous, but that they got their feelings hurt. Yes, they did. That's what it is. And it's just, They had way too short of a leash with these guys. It wasn't even the ref that got the ball passed to him that ejected him. It was another guy that saw it. It was just like, I'm sticking up for my buddy over here in the stripes. And 
I think it's just a little bit indicative. That game was, and, and neither team, like, it favored either team. But I think just the overall look of what was going on with the refs is kind of indicative of this season because I know there's been a lot of people that have become really, really frustrated with the officiating in the NBA this year. Yeah, it's um, something's got to change. <laughs> if that if that's the standard, then something's got to change. But I'd like to say before we continue this podcast, we are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Other great podcasts for you to listen to. We'll go ahead and name those towards the end of the show. But I will tell you that there is a lot of quality listening content over there. So make sure you go check it out. Make sure you check us out on basketballnews.com. Great articles, film breakdowns, exclusive interviews, and more. So make sure you go visit basketballnews.com. Follow us on our social platforms as well. You can follow us on our social platforms, being the hosts of Keep It at 94. I'm at Spin Davies. He's at Brian Fritz. I'm also on Instagram at Spin Davies, and he's on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. So, Fritzy, uh, what's the first thing you want to hit on that's on your mind? I know you wanted to talk about your Lakers, but we kind of addressed that a little bit. Um, is there anything specific that you wanted to get into? I know... You know, we have a, a lot to talk about just as far as Lloyd Pierce being fired. Uh, we have the All-Star Weekend to talk about because it's literally on the cusp. Uh, you had an interesting subject that we're probably going to hit towards the end that I'm excited about uh, because it's something we haven't asked before. So um, where, where do you want to kick this thing, thing off? I think since it's probably the biggest news story of the week is the Hawks dismissing Lloyd Pierce you know, two and a half years into his tenure and after the um, the rough start of the season that that team has had. Uh, and and I think um, when you look at what happened, I, it's funny from our perspective, I was a little bit surprised. I guess when you start hearing some of the fallout of that situation, we probably shouldn't be surprised between the um, relationship that Pierce had with some of his players. Plus on top of that, and this is something that we knew going into the season, is that you've got new ownership there and new ownership is always going to be very urgent. They want to win immediately. They are not going to be patient on anything. And when things aren't going the way that they want, especially after they spent a bunch of money in the off season, they are going to have a quick trigger when it comes to dismissing people. And Lloyd Pierce was the person that got let go. Yeah. So my reaction to this was, it was a little short-sighted. I don't think, regardless of what the players thought in the locker room, and by the way, that's a terrible attitude to take with your coach when you know that you're down guys and you know that you're not whole as a team. I feel like it's pretty pretty shady to, to be as at, you know, at opposition with your head coach. Especially when we know that Lloyd Pierce is is a leader, um, you know it's it's evidenced by his work in the community and and all of you know that stuff off the court. On the court, I think they look fine. I oh man, it, it just it it kills me to see him you know booted like this uh, when it's only his third season. You know you haven't had, even had the chance to see this team grow together. Um, the writing might have been on the wall when the Hawks brought in Nate McMillan over the offseason, just because they know 
you know, what his track record is, the way that he's coached, you know, multiple teams in the NBA um, and, and just his, you know, his pedigree, so to speak. But they didn't even give Lloyd a chance, man. They didn't give him a chance. No Bogdan Bogdanovich for most of the season. Gallo in and out. DeAndre Hunter goes down with an injury to his knee a month ago, and all of a sudden things go on tailspin. Chris Dunn hasn't played a single game for them yet. Like, I just think it's unfair, uh, regardless of what the players in the locker room thought. I know that uh, apparently a lot of them were, you know, I was trying to say it earlier, but at odds with their head coach. But I still feel like that's pretty weak coming from them. Well, because because Nate was the first one to say it in the press conference. You want someone to point the finger at, point it at us. Because we're the ones not getting the job done. We're not the ones, you know, playing to our highest level because we're pouting about our head coach, which I think is 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 pretty weak on their part. And you know, so, sometimes you got to look yourself in the mirror. It's not always someone who's in charge of you. You're the players. You're the guys that are doing the job on the court. And again, I know that they didn't have their whole piece. They've had, you know, four or five guys missing, it seems, for every single contest. But how in the world is that Lloyd Pierce's fault? Is Nate McMillan going to make DeAndre, Helton, DeAndre Hunter, like, automatically healthy? Like, is, is he going to bring back all these guys that haven't played games? Like, I, I don't know. On the flip side, I will say I do like Nate McMillan just as, you know, being being the, the person that could possibly turn these thing, this team around just in the sense of if they needed a new voice, this is the one they're going to show it. And they went out and, you know, proved their, their worth uh, in Miami last night with a 14-point victory and, most importantly, closed that game out as they were, were like, neck and neck and maybe even trailing after the third quarter that that's an important characteristic um and maybe maybe i'm wrong in all this but i just hate seeing lloyd get get the boot because he's such a good guy and i thought he was doing a good job i don't know well i think you read the piece that the athletic did and when something like this goes down there's going to be that fallout piece I was surprised to see it so quickly because it wasn't even like three days, week, two weeks. Because normally that's how long it takes for people to kind of come out of the woodwork and everybody starts explaining themselves and you're digging around and you're getting uh, players, whether on the record, off the record, people in the organization talking about what was going on behind the scenes. And in this case, there was a full rundown of the problems less than 24 hours later. So that tells you that things were brewing. And yes, I think that a lot of the onus on this needs to go on the players themselves, because I understand that things aren't always going to be the way that you want, but you're supposed to be professionals. And there's a reason why that coach is in that position. That being said, let me, let me take, um, let me take the, the other side of the coin here a little bit. If you're Lloyd Pierce and you see that, despite all the injuries and, you know, he doesn't want to make that as an excuse. Nobody really does. Okay. But we all know that it, you can't win in this league if you're dealing with tons of injuries. But regardless, if you're having these many problems with your star player, with Trey Young, it doesn't mean that your star player is necessarily right. But if you're having that many problems with him 
and you're having problems with John Collins and you're having problems with Cam Reddish and there's other players. The Cam Reddish thing was was so, so dumb to me, by the way, you know, 20 year old, 21 year old, because he's getting disciplined and trying to be be shown the right way and trying to be taught the right things that it's too much that that like I I hated that when I read that. But the question that I have is. He's going to be tough on them because he he was trying to help them be, you know, make their way in the NBA. They're young players. And I don't know. We didn't really hear too much from veteran players when it came to speaking out against him. But is there a part of you that wonders as a coach? Yes, you want to be account, hold everybody accountable. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, sing kumbaya and do campfires every night. But is, is there at some point where maybe you need to ease up a little bit on your style because it's not working with them? That as a head coach, we all know that it's a lot more than what we see on the court. It's a lot more than the X's and O's. It's about developing a relationship behind the scenes as well and team chemistry and things like that. And he wasn't getting through to them. Apparently. I mean, I didn't necessarily know this. I don't know if you did as much. I didn't hear as much of the scuttlebutt about it. I figured there were some problems, but I didn't know it was to this degree, but then you read this piece and you see all these problems coming out of the woodwork and everybody was quick to dump on him too, which is, <laughs> that is not a good look on players, but I do wonder, is there something that he could have done as a head coach just to tweak it a little bit? That's, Maybe not his style, but something that's going to work better for those players. And in the end, he can get more out of them and the team can be better for it. Yeah, there was a sense of stubbornness. Uh, This is Chris Kirshner's article, by the way, of The Athletic um, on just inside uh, of the the firing and and why things were going the way they were going. It's a really tremendous piece, so make sure to go check it out. Uh, But I'm thinking to myself, Brian, I'm like, you know, you got a bunch of 20-somethings on this roster other than the, the the veterans that they wanted to bring in because ownership, Tony Ressler, if they want a winner, they're going to shortcut the process. Okay, let's bring in all these veterans. Let's bring in Danilo Gallinari. Let's bring in, uh, you know, an older guy like uh, Rajon Rondo. And, and you need vets on the team. Don't get me wrong. But on those contracts, if you're trying to shortcut the process and shortcut what was being built, doesn't that kind of reset it now? Because who knows if Nate McMillan is going to be the guy. He's, the, he's on here in an interim basis. But if there's a coaching search and someone changes everything that, that these players have known to their, this point of their careers that have been here since Lloyd was, was coach uh, you know, two years ago, then doesn't that kind of stunt development? I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm looking at DeAndre Hunter and I'm saying, wow. Lloyd really gave him the freedom to be what he wanted to be because he's having a career year and he's in his second season. Trey Young, obviously there's been a regression, but that's also because of his style of play. And if you read that article, apparently Lloyd Pierce isn't a fan of the way that he was taking shots. How bad is it when your head coach is going out in public and talking about not naming players, but he's talking about like, I don't like today's NBA in the way that guys get foul calls and what they're doing on the court and just not trying to make buckets, but trying to get calls. And like, he's talking about his own guy, but he's right. He's right. He's right in that situation. But you, you, I mean, look, you at, typically look, look, don't look. see that. You don't see a head coach, especially with a star player say, I'm going to, I'm going to diss my own guy. I know. Yeah, it, it, it is very rare, uh, especially at, what was it? A league meeting? What yes, that, that's what's crazy. 
but I mean, I'm looking at, you know, guys like Kevin Herter and John Collins. John Collins has been in trade rumors. Does that have anything else to do with dissension? Because, you know, that he's not getting plays drawn up for him. Is that Lloyd's fault or is that the fault of the front office because they've been dangling him in trade rumors? Like, no, it's not one singular party's fault here, but it could have been handled so much better. And I think that's why, that's why I'm a little bit ticked. And I'm, and I'm ticked again because they tried to shortcut the process and you don't do that when you have a young team. I know, I know that Trey Young wanted help, but there's a different way to address this. Well, it's I think internal, too, it's called internal growth. <laughs> well, I like the choice of Nate McMillan and they're very lucky to have him on the bench because he is a veteran coach and he's a guy that I think is going to read the room a little bit differently. He's going to have a different style than Lloyd. Yeah, and but here's, he, the, here's the thing for me though, Bri. Yeah, it's going to help defensively and that's huge, okay? If, if, if he can get this team right on the defensive path, then who that, then you know that Nate McMillan knows what the hell he's doing, <laughs> but offensively, I feel like Nate hasn't ever had these kind of weapons and firepower at the same time. I don't think schematically, this is an upgrade from Lloyd Pierce as an offensive mind. Like, I feel like they're on that same plane in that sense, but defensively, I will agree that McMillan as his track record shows and what we saw with the Pacers for all those years, he's somebody that demands, you know, a lot of, a lot of pressure, um, you know, no giving up on possessions, multiple efforts on defensive possessions. And on the offensive end, I thought it was interesting in his press conference on Tuesday that he was talking about no more threes and early in the shot clock, you know, no more like, no more hunting, you know, like, cause he, he called that out. If you, if you look at basketballnews.com, Chris Sheridan did a, did a good job of, you know, uh, highlighting what was said, told him about the three C's calm, clear, and connected. Um, trying to figure out the best ways to close games when they have a lead, when they, you know, cause the Hawks have not been good in fourth quarter situations. They have one of the worst ratings net ratings that is in that period and that's not good because that means the rest of the time they're playing okay but i mean i like nate from the standpoint that he's been around the block he's a veteran coach people know what he's going to be about i think he's going to be well regarded by the veterans on the team and i think hopefully some of the younger guys will be like okay I know that Nate's kind of been around. I'll I'll give him a chance. Here's the other point that I'll I'll bring up when it comes to this team. Okay. Because, you know, in the off season, they, they make all these moves. Okay. They go out and they, they, they spend a lot of money and the ownership wanted them to do that because they were like, I'm, I'm sick of this, not making the playoffs. We're getting into the postseason. I was somebody and I'm not the only person, but I think there was some people that as much as we looked at, yeah, those should be better. I wondered like, do all of these moves, really fit. It seemed like there was some um, repetitiveness when it came to some positions. Um, And I look at this going, okay, how is this all going to work? I never thought they were going to be anywhere close to a contender. I wasn't even sure. Like, I know some people even thought like sneaky team, maybe could be as high as a four seed. I always thought they'd be somebody that like, if they're going to get in the playoffs, it'd be like seven, eight seed. But it was qu- still only year three. And right. that's why I tried to tell Alex. Alex was like, dude, you're ha- you have the Hornets over the Hawks. And I'm like, think about where they're at in their process. 
and the type of superstar that the Hornets had just brought in with Hayward. Granted, I didn't see all of this coming with LaMelo Ball, but I was like, okay, Devontae Graham coming off a good season. Terry Rozier still there. Like, dude, obviously the Hawks are going to go through ups and downs. This is the first time that they would have pressure on themselves. This is outside pressure. How do you live up to that pressure? But because the moves had not worked, and a lot of this was injuries, there was a clash with the coach behind the scenes, all these different things. But once again, you've got new ownership there that is not going to be patient right now. And I do wonder because of this and because of those moves that they made, no matter what when it comes to the injury situation on this team, at what point do they sit there and say, okay, was this a coaching problem or is this a GM problem from the moves that we made? And, and now that they've removed the coach, at what point do they look at Travis Schlenk and say, well, maybe we need somebody else that's different in that position because these moves didn't work out. Then it goes all, it goes all to, to the crapper. Honestly, if that, you know, that's that something happens. I would look out for, you know, it's not, I don't think it would happen until the off season, but I do wonder about that because and we've seen this time and time and time again, when it comes to new ownership, especially people that have just been so ultra successful in business and they sit there and think, well, now I got an NBA team. I can do the same thing. And I made money quickly in this business so I can make, you know, I can run a successful NBA team here and people don't have the patience. They typically don't. We saw that in Sacramento. You know what happened there? We've seen it in plenty of other places too, where guys won't just sit back and say, let's build something here. Let me get the right people in the front office and let's build to something and have a goal for three, four or five years down the line. It's, I just bought this team. Let's go spend some money. Let's get some players. Let's get some wins. We can do it. Yeah. And it doesn't work that easily. No, it's not. I think Steve Smith had a great point last night in TAT's broadcast, even though he blamed it on analytics. And I was like, no, 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 wrong thing. But I get what you're trying to say, Smitty. I get what you're trying to say. Is it like Shaq trying to explain the modern day defense? Okay, we're not going to go. We're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Candace put Candace Parker, put him on a pedestal, like like put him on on skates. And Dwayne Wade was right there to back her up, too. Oh, 100%. But talking about Smitty, he was talking about, you know, it's not always who has the best numbers that you put together and put guys in a locker room and they're automatically a team and a contender. No, that's where you have to use the eye test. That's when you have to use personality to see how they interact with different personalities. And that's how you build contenders. That's how you build a team. Look at Phoenix. Look at the calculated moves that the Suns have made. You know, they didn't completely tear everything apart. Like they, they brought Monty in. They did a shift. They kept their core together. They didn't get rid of, you know, their foundational pieces. They kept Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges. Cam Johnson, they kept them all around. You, you just, and you just see like the, the fringe moves, you know, the, the moves on the, the outside, bringing in a veteran like Jay Crowder. Yeah, obviously, Chris Paul was a huge, a huge acquisition, but that, that's an exception to the rule. Well, that's the whole thing, like, though, because you bring in somebody of the presence and the stature and the talent, the glue guy that Chris Paul is, the leader, and then you put Monty in there, you have a different voice. And things are going to come together, should come together pretty quickly because he has developed the system that everybody has bought into. And when you have Chris Paul as like a secondary coach that's on the court, it makes it that much 
easier, I think, for people to buy in and for your system to work. Absolutely. And but you could just the way I would describe that. And, and I said it in the open is that it was just one of the most mature wins that I saw them have to, to go into to L.A. and do that. And I think they're 12 and three in the last 15 or 15 and three in the last 18. It was one of those one of those two. Right. And they're, uh, but, they're, 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 but they are second in the Western Conference now. Yeah, all I mean, they've, they've, they're eight and two of their last 10. They've won three in a row. Um, they're, they're right there. I mean, they're they're now second seed in, in the West. You know, they they got out to a slow start. I think they were eight and eight to start the season. But since then, they've gotten in a roll. You know, yep. they they are really clicking right now. And that is an impressive win in that you could sit there and say, well, the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis and they didn't have Cal Kuzma and they didn't have Marcus Saul. And then come to find out Caruso um, left the game, you know, I don't know when it was. I think it was in the fourth quarter is when suddenly he was out because he had neck spasms. But regardless, I mean, the Suns didn't have, you know, their main scorer and Devin Booker and the Lakers still had LeBron and they went out there. I mean, you watched that game and you kept waiting like, all right, here's where the Lakers are going to make a run. LeBron makes three straight threes in the fourth. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he just, just kept like... waiting for that moment and it didn't happen. Yeah. And yeah. I, I thought it showed a couple of things. Number one, it showed that maturity and just kind of the, the calm hand that the Suns have just kind of this steadiness that they have. It also showed on the Lakers standpoint, number one, they don't force turnovers like they did last year. Like the first half of this game, the Lakers are forcing turnovers and running and that's when they are just killing it. And I mean, they're, they're very difficult to deal with at that point. They weren't forcing turnovers in the second half. And if they're not forcing turnovers, they better start hitting threes. And they couldn't hit the broadside of the barn until LeBron hit three threes in a row. But that was late in the game. That was three, four minutes left in the game. And it was it was over at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And I think the thing that we're leaving out, too, is that this was a nationally broadcasted game. So, Absolutely. So they, they knew that this was a big one. DeAndre Ayton said after the game to the TNT crew that this was a playoff game. Like... They knew. They knew what it meant, no matter what the circumstances were, no matter who was out, no matter who was in. When I look at Aiton, it was a national television game. Yeah. When I look at Aiton, and tell me if you agree with this, okay? I can't tell if he's 20 years old or 60. If you told me any age in between there, I would believe you when it comes to DeAndre Aiton. He's he's the old man. He's the old he's the elder statesman, even though he's only a third year pro. <laughs> Are we sure that he wasn't in the those pickup games with Kyrie Irving playing as the old man? He could have been. Who knows? He wasn't Uncle Drew. He was he's an old he's he's a wise man, though. He's a wise young man. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at him every time and I'm just like, this guy um could either be not old enough <laughs> to drink or he could be a grandfather. <laughs> I, I can't tell. I love it. That's so funny. Okay. Okay. Off the, off the suns. Uh, let's see some other box scores last night. Ooh. So we had the Grizzlies blow out the wizards. We had the Celtics with another uh, big win. Uh, they beat the Clippers who are on a little bit of a skid right now. Spurs are back in action uh, from COVID and they've played, I think three games, but they blew the doors off of the Knicks after a close, close one with the Nets on Tuesday, or I mean on Monday, uh, the neg- the Nuggets, whoo, they went into Milwaukee and and just, whoo, boy, they really blew their doors off. And I didn't expect that one, but 
it's probably because the Bucks just ended a, I think it, it was an eight game homestand. So it's understandable when it's the last one of, of like 15 days, it's a two week span. Uh, however, I will say the Nuggets were on a back to back and that, that is an impressive blowout uh, over one of the top teams in the East. I mean, they were up 14 at the end of the first quarter. And then they also, you know, ended the game by outscoring. I can't with Jokic, man. I, I can't like, he is just something else. I don't know me, what to. I think we need to talk about more in the MVP discussion. I understand we've only played a half of the season right now. And, and this is something we'll get into later, but I mean, Hey, his head coach, Mike Malone is sitting there going, Hey, everybody, can we take a little bit more notice of my big guy? Because this dude is just putting up astronomical numbers. And it's when they're down players, they haven't had Gary Harris. They haven't had their power forwards like Jamichael Green. Like they, they haven't had their full complement of talent. And Jokic is just saying, okay, well, I'm going to take the brunt of the scoring load and I'm going to do my thing. Like, are you kidding me? Back to back. So on a back to back, he goes into Chicago, puts up 39, 14 rebounds, and nine assists with a couple blocks. The next night in Milwaukee puts up 37 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. Like, and back-to-back nights. And just a few games before that, he, he, he had 41, 5, and 5 in a win over Portland. Like, dude, this dude is doing ridiculous things. Like, we knew he could score. We know he can, like, you know, go off. But I feel like it's more consistent in this period. Like, I have no idea what this dude, like, you're watching him, you know, make his po- uh, plays, you know, plays from the post. You're make you're watching him, you know, shoot threes at a 40 plus percent clip. Obviously, we see the, you know, the talent that he has in just creating looks for his, his teammates. But like, it's just, it's like on steroids this year. It's like him times 10 of what we're seeing and it I would like she's 25 years old Brian no 26. he's not he's 26 24 I, I got 26 on basketball reference so we were both wrong uh, but still well, I'm gonna look this up again though but still yeah. 26 years old I mean he really started coming into his own I'd say his third year that 17 and 18 season yeah he's 26 I'm my bad like but still like 26 still, is still, I mean, come on. That's he is right there. That is who I, I know this is a subject you wanted to hit later, but for like the team play that he has, and I know that the defense isn't great, but I think it's been a little better this year. Like I, I'm hard pressed to think about who the other types of players I would want to surround talent with. Like, and he does it on a consistent basis. It used to be a situation where Mike Malone would have to ask him to score and ask him to do these things if somebody else was having an off night. A Jamal Murray, for example, because we know how inconsistent he could be in his younger years. And he still is a little bit now, but he started to turn it around this season. But, like, Jokic is just doing this on a nightly basis. Would you and, want to do this right now when it comes to, you know, the, the the topic that we had? So his head coach, Mike Malone, came out a couple of nights ago and it was after the, the win in Chicago and said, hey, I hope everybody starts paying attention 
to what uh, Jokic is doing here because it's incredible. And he goes, when I hear the conversation of who would you want to start a franchise with? I don't hear his name. And he's like, some people better start mentioning him because he is an incredible player doing just ridiculous things this year. So I kind of thought it would be interesting to discuss like who would be on your top five list of players you'd want to start a franchise with right now to start a franchise. This right. is, this is long-term. This is so 10 years, just, you 10 know, the, years. So oh, wow. age has to be a factor into this because obviously Absolutely. you don't want to start a franchise with LeBron James at this point in the, you know, of his career or, there's some other guys too that you could say are already you know 30 years old or whatever that maybe you wouldn't want to necessarily. But I'd say for seven to ten years, so who would you want to start a franchise with? I think. Mm, see, do start you at the need, top. Do you need your franchise to get off to an amazing start? You want to build. This is going to be the corner piece as you build and during this run are going to be a championship contender and hopefully for, you know, multiple years of it. So you're, you're, you're leaving out the, you know, the LeBrons and anybody who's in their thirties and stuff like that. Well, let's give our list. Okay. Cause I've got a list. I, I do homework. Okay. Yeah, you do. You do. Okay. Uh, so who's, who's number one on your list. If you got anybody in the NBA right now, you want to start a franchise with who, I mean, I've got my guy. I was gonna say, go ahead, fire, fire yours off, because I got to think about this. Even if I'm, even if I have a list, I got to rethink a little bit. Because to me, it's pretty simple. And as much as we've been talking about Jokic, he's not my number one. My number one is Luka Doncic. Okay. If I look at Luka, what he's done so far, and by the way, if you're not paying attention to him this season, while he got off to a slow start and he was definitely out of shape, he is really starting to put it together now. And the Mavericks. They're finally past all their COVID problems and they're starting to put it together. They're over 500 by a game, yes. 17 and 16. So they're starting to make a run. It's all behind Luca. He's only 22 years old. He is 22. And this is a guy that is going to be an MVP candidate for a long time to come. And if this team is ever going to win a championship, it's going to be because he is that guy. He is the cornerstone. So if I had to pick one guy, it would be Luca. That'd be number one. He's my number one. Who's, who's your number one? Oh. Do I go off the cuff a bit or do I stick to? I mean, you can copy mm. me if you want. I mean. Mm. Is it sad if I say, no, yeah, I can't say that. I can't say that. Yeah, I'd probably have to agree with Luca if we're looking at the long term and looking at age wise and the production they're at. I've got a couple names actually that might surprise you. Okay, uh, do you, give me your top five. Give me your top five and I'll give you my five. There's just such an assortment of talent that I just. There is. But I mean, a lot of this, like I said, it's who the player is now, what we expect them to be as they grow, age. So it, it, they might not be the dominant guy right now, but we believe that they are going to be that person 
over this next seven to 10 years. They're going and they would be, you know, who's on my list, Brian. I've got a feeling I know that, that I think uh, probably should have been a little bit more considered for the all-star game. That is Shea Gilgis Alexander. Really? He's on your list. He is on my list. He's absolutely on my list. Somebody who learned under Chris Paul uh, is doing the things that he's doing at age 22. If he was in the Eastern Conference, he would be a lock for an all-star, especially seeing that team's record. It's the same record as the damn Hawks. So give and me your you five. Look at, you, look at that, you look at that roster and... Whew, uh, give, me, give me your top five and give me them in order. I want oh to, I want to, yep, you're going to be held accountable for this. You are, you are holding me accountable. Yes, I am. I've got five. Well, obviously Luca's going to be on that list. Is he so, number one? Where is he? Number two, three. Would you dare put him all the way down to five? No, I wouldn't put him at five. So where is he? He'd be either one or two. He'd be one or two. Well, one or two. Which one is it? Christ. Okay. One. Okay. Number um, two. Number two. I'm looking at just young talent here. You know what? Screw it. I'll put Jokic number two. Okay. Uh, three. Now, this is tough because mm, I'll go ahead and throw Tatum there. Mm-hmm. With number three. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Nope, not going to include that one. Uh, I got to just look at ages here. So sorry. Oh, man. Because I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, you've got three and you already put. Shay Gilgers on there. So that's not prisoner of the moment stuff. That's just real. Is SGA four or five on your list? Uh, He's likely going to be. He'll he'll be number. We'll make him number four. Okay. So who's your number five? Hmm. Jokic is 26. You already had Jokic. Yep. Hmm. 26. Ooh. I just need a name. You do. You do. I just need a name. There's a lot of good young guys out there. Just need a name. There are a lot. So bear with me, dang it. Because there, there, there is. There's a lot of talent. So I'm mm-hmm. just scanning the standings and thinking to myself. <laughs> Somebody didn't do their homework. I didn't do my homework. <laughs> but it's better if you think about it organically. Over the podcast. It took me two minutes yesterday to do this. See, you don't think about it as in depth as I do. Yes, I do. Because I literally forgot a name on my list and I was just like, oh, I got to put him in there. Oh, God. I can't give him the nod here. Do you need help? Do you want me to give you my five and then we come back to your number? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I think I think me doing it over the pod is good because people are hearing my thought process. So I'll tell you my five are. Okay. In fact, I will tell you who came close but didn't make my list. Okay. Yeah. So 
neither uh, Brown or Tatum from the Celtics made my list. Okay. As young as they are. I uh, Durant is, you know, coming off the Achilles, even though he looks incredible, but he's already a little bit older. Um, I thought about Ben Simmons, but um, I'm not getting the offense out of him, even though he's fantastic. I wouldn't have a problem building around him, but he wouldn't make my top five. Anthony Davis, he's already got some injury concerns, so I am not going to have him on my list as well. And I think the other guy that came incredibly close, and I originally had him on my list, is DeMontis Sabonis of the Pacers. Because he's only 24. Okay. So my list is, number one, I had Luka. Two, Giannis, still only 26. Arguably the best two-way player in the league. I was going to throw Giannis at five, but I was debating just because just of trying to be skill cool set. and be different. Okay. I am uh, not trying to be cool and different. And I'm a Giannis supporter. Look at me. I'm on the basketball savant. I'm going off the chart, off the list. Um, I had Jokic uh, at number three at number four. I had Zion Williamson. He's only 20 years old. And at number five, believe it or not, I have Donovan Mitchell, who is only 24 years old. And I just like the way that he handles and leads a team. I think the best basketball for him is yet to come. I think he is a great chemistry guy. I think he sets a great tone for a team. And on top of that, he's a damn good player. He is. And it's funny. You named the three I was thinking about, and then I was going to pivot. I'm going to go Booker. I'm going to go Booker with number five. Oh, he's going Booker. Yep. So thanks. You got my mind. You've you've juggled my mind. You've got it going. Thank you. So my list is Luka, Giannis, Jokic. Zion and Donovan Mitchell. And then you have Luca Jokic, Jason Tatum, SGA, and Devin Booker. Yes. And I'm thinking strictly from a, a 10 year standpoint. So yes, me before, too. If you we were thinking on a two year standpoint, that list is completely different. Hey, the oldest guy on my list is 26. So I there still feel over the next seven to 10 years. I'm, I'm pretty good with that. Yeah. And Jokic is, is one of those players too, that he doesn't depend on his athleticism. So he could be doing this for the next 10 years anyway. Right. And that, and like, I, I mean, I, it really came down to me. I, it's funny. I actually left. That's Zion why I can't do Giannis. Like, Oh, I can, but I, I can't, I mean, he's still, I mean, he's the two time defending MVP and he's awesome on both ends of the court. Um, I mean, I would like to see him play a little bit better when it comes to clutch on offense, but he does so many things during a game, especially even on uh, defense as well. The guy that that they almost broke my heart to keep out was Sabonis because he is only 24 years old and the guy's putting up, you know, 20 and 10 and he is a great anchor for a team. But, you know, what I've seen so far, I mean, he's, you know, that that's the guy that the Pacers are going to be building around. But at the same time, I'm a little bit disappointed that they're not playing better, despite the injuries and things that have been going on with that team as well. But he's he, doing his share. He is he is doing some really, really good, good things. I think when he's at his worst, though, is when he puts his head down and he's a little too aggressive, starts swinging the elbows in the post. Um, he has sometimes an issue. I don't want to say it's. um tunnel vision, but just kind of forcing the issue, almost like Julius Randle uh, in his early years, kind of bull in a China shop type of deal. Um, Watch Taylor like Norton he, Tucker for the Lakers right now. You'll know exactly what Spencer's talking about. <laughs> so like it is, you know, once he gets that out of his system and it doesn't happen often, but, but when it does, it usually leads to those types of losses. Then you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. 
Yeah. Um, no, but that's good. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to get that out, hash that out. Hopefully I didn't drag it out too long, but I just needed to get my, my brain rolling a little bit. Um, You're still waking up this morning, huh? No. I was having, I'm not, we're not going to go there. Mind you, <laughs> you know what happened to me this morning is as I'm sitting here and I'm getting ready. I'm upstairs in our place and I hear a noise downstairs. My, my wife is out, you know, on a, on a trail right now for a walk. And we've been fostering a mostly blind dog that's only a couple of years old. So he's got a lot of energy. And I hear this bustling downstairs and I go down to the kitchen going, what is going on? And the dog had gotten up on the counter, got his paws up on the counter and pulled down a whole sleeve of crackers that I pulled out for later and tore into and ate an entire bag of crackers and just left a mess everywhere. So even though the dog is mostly blind, um, it's not totally blind and it's very smart and knows how to get food off the counter if you leave it too close to the edge. (laughs) extra responsibilities for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's always great. When it's a, he's done this a couple of times. Like I had this happen uh, like a week ago. I heard a noise in the kitchen. I caught him quick. He had somehow pulled down a um, bag of bread. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was starting to tear into the bread, like ripping through the plastic. Oh man. The joys right. of having a pet. Seriously. Are you down to talk about what stands out to you in the first half of the season? Sure. Okay. So just a team I wanted to hit on because we really haven't talked about them too much to this point, but I think they deserve a little bit of love. And that's the Charlotte Hornets. Um, LaMelo has just been awesome. Let's just put it out there right now. Like, like he's literally just been consistent, consistent in his role since joining the starting lineup. Uh, it's not – I want to see what the record is when he is a starter. Um, it's not only just him. G- Gordon Hayward's been having a terrific season when he's been healthy. Uh, Malik Monk coming off the bench has looked tremendous as somebody who can really lead that second unit and also play with guys like LaMelo uh, in the starting lineup. I think Miles Bridges has been really good off the bench as well. Uh, I think the Martin twins don't get enough – uh, love, we we have to talk about PJ Washington in his 42 point outing against the Kings, seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, he has been playing well in the last week and a half or so, and and really stepped up. I'm, I'm guessing it's because now he's he's kind of you know found that chemistry with Lamelo. Uh, you know the, the 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 glaring issue is defense and the rim protection isn't great. Cody Zeller has had a hard time staying healthy this season. Um, Bismack Biombo's had to do a lot, uh, and they've they've ended up having to play small with PJ uh, at times. But I just I everyone calls him the league pass team. Uh, their their play by play guy uh, is outstanding, and that's why a, a lot of people are into them. Uh, Eric Collins does a tremendous job of just kind of getting you into the game. I, he reminds me of a Gus Johnson type with the way that he kind of brings you in. And the funny thing is, uh, out of all this, too, you know, I'm talking about all this good with the Hornets, and I don't even bring up Terry Rozier, who probably is having his best season as a pro. Shooting 48% from the field, 44% from deep, 
20 points a game. And you think that he's, you know, the second guy there to, well, maybe even the third guy to LaMelo and Gordon. That's impressive. It's really impressive. And Malik Monk has played well for them yeah, this yeah, year yeah. as well. I said, too, yeah, so. I, I said that. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, just he, off the bench, like he's just looked what we expected when he was drafted four years ago. It was kind of like his team was uh, the Island of Misfit Toys in, in some aspects. And that guys had kind of been, you know, not thought of much or just people just kind of brush them off to the side going, ah, you know, I don't know how good they're going to be. But I mean, they've gotten... They've gotten good stuff out of Monk. They've gotten good contributions out of Bismack Biombo this year. You know, I mean, he's not going to dominate a game, but he comes in and he does the little things that you need. Rose the you. veteran leadership, Brian, that's the big part that he brings that he's, he's a mentor to LaMelo. Like yeah, I mean, he's, he's like big brother. So, I mean, I, I, I've been surprised by them. I did not think they were going to be that good. And they've been this doing year. this all without somebody who was leading their team, I believe in scoring last year. And Devontae Graham. Yes. Or maybe not leading their team in scoring. Maybe he was second, but he was a big the part point remains. Scoring, yeah. Like he's been out this entire time. Yeah. So no, he did lead the team in scoring. So that's nuts. Uh, but they they look like they're just having fun. I know they're coming off that loss in Portland. It's always hard to to play at Portland, though. And Portland was on a little bit of a skid. So Dame came out and and you know had to do his thing. And Mello had to show Mello who was the real Mello. Say that a thousand times fast. Uh, but Carmelo just went absolutely bonkers in that game. Robert Covington had an amazing night for the Blazers. And they needed that because they were kind of in a tailspin. But I still think that the Hornets uh, just really impressed me in that, that first half. Uh, Lamelo, you can't say enough about him. It's just the, the natural feel for the game, the passes he makes in transition, the passes he makes in the, the half court, the confidence he's had to shoot the ball. The confidence he's had to drive the ball to the rim, like even defensively. Sometimes he doesn't know where he's supposed to be, but he's trying. You can see it. That's the place that they need to to get better at. Like I said, but I've been impressed. That's all I can say. Uh, do you have a Do you have a team that you wanted to spotlight? I mean, it's a team that we've talked about before. And that's the Utah Jazz, just from the standpoint that. I think everybody's kind of wondered going into the season, like, where's this team going to be at? How good are they going to be? We've seen potential there, but can they really put it together? And, and they put it together this year. And I know we talked about them last week on the podcast, but you look at them. I mean, top record in the NBA, you know, 27 and eight. Talking about them after a loss to the Pelicans too. What are you doing? Yeah, but I mean, hey, you're going to lose some games. I mean, I mean, they fell apart defensively and the Pelicans couldn't miss no matter what they threw up in the air. It was just like every, it was one of those nights. Everything was going in Zion so, dude, Zion that points in the paint. I think they had like 74 points in the paint against that team too, against Rudy Gobert. That's impressive. By the it way. is. Uh, and it just shows, you know, what's going on a little bit in new Orleans and that, uh, Stan is going to change the mentality and said, Hey Zion, won't you be our point guard? We're going to give you the ball at the top of the key and let you cook. Uh, but when it comes to Utah, like I said, I, I think we've been waiting for them to see if they can put it together. And this year they really feel like they put it together. And the thing that stands out to me, if you look at like teams in past years, especially like last year, when, it, when the Lakers were playing so well, the chemistry was incredible and you could tell that they were having fun. I mean, there's obviously when it comes down to business, you want to get business done, but it, it shows in the NBA, especially I think 
and, and you know, some other sports leagues, but in the NBA, you can really see it when teams are having fun and the jazz this year, I think that was some of the missing, you know, ingredients there is that you can really see them having fun on the court, the way that the ball moves, the way that they react for one another, the way that the bench reacts during a game, they're having fun playing right now. And it's really standing out. And I, I think that that's really helped them get to the point where they are, you know, right now at this point in the season, you know, 27 and eight. Let's go to your Eastern Conference team that you wanted to spotlight. I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on on this team, and then I'll go to the West and sure. we'll wrap it up. Well, I, I think when you look at the East, you have to look at the Knicks. I mean, <laughs> what they have done so far this year, I mean, they're, they're at 500 here. They're 18 and 18. What Tom Thibodeau has done to really change the landscape of what the Knicks are compared to what they have been you know, for a long time is really been remarkable how quickly he's been able to change this and you know how hard he drives everybody, but how much everybody has bought into the system there. Julius Randle has played an incredible first half of the season. He's just gotten so many different contributions from so many different guys. And just if anyone could use the all-star break, it's him, by the way, yeah, <laughs> like, uh, he's been putting a lot on his shoulders. Hey, you know, uh, and he's been able to, to, to come through for it. I mean, tips can be a very demanding coach, but at the same time, he drives a hard bargain, but man, he is fighting for his team out there. And, you know, you look at this team and you're thinking it's nothing special on paper, but he's got them to come together. They play hard. I don't think there's a team in the league that plays harder than the Knicks. And, I mean, we could sit here and we could question a couple of things that they've done, especially when it comes to bringing in Derrick Rose, who really hasn't taken too much time for Emmanuel quickly. Uh, the person that's lost time over there is Austin Rivers, who was having a bad season, but now he's just uh, persona non grata, basically, with that team. But, you know, he's come through with results, and the question now is going to be, can this team sustain it for the rest of the season, and can they get into the playoffs? And... Are they at a point now where they feel like, hey, we can and should make a move before the playoffs or let's just ride what we got. Let's keep it going. And then whatever we're going to do, we can do in the offseason. But it's it's been an amazing first half of the Knicks. It's it, it's something that at least I think that longtime Knicks fans can embrace, too, because it's not a flashy team. They always want the big name. But, man, they will support a team that plays hard. In I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And it's funny because Tibbs is still playing the same ball, man. Still have the slowest pace in the entire league. And they shoot one of the, you know, the fewest threes, basically. Um, it's just funny to me that, that he's still, you know, sticking with his style, but it's working and they're buying in. Like, they're so good defensively that they can play at this pace and that they can run things in, in the half court. You know, like, you mentioned Julius Randle. I'm, you know, I'm still looking at the way that he's playmate. He's playmaking, uh, the way that he's shooting. Uh, even though, again, they're not a heavy shooting, uh, three point shooting team, but like it's just made everybody better, and that includes, you know, the rookies uh, like Emmanuel. Quickly, we're finally seeing Obi Toppin getting playing time with the second unit. I- I'm thinking to myself that Nerlens Noel. He's he's definitely earned the respect that he can be a starter. But I'm thinking to myself that Leon Rose and Tibbs might be, 
you know, kind of teetering. And if that is going to work out there, just because Mitchell Robinson's been on the been on the shelf with the 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 hand injury or the wrist injury, whatever it was, um, I still I still think a move would would be good for them in the in the center department, and that's why I had one of the the picks for Andre Drummond landing spots as the Knicks because they have the contracts to make it work. What would what would you think about that? Because it would be a package of, I believe it was Nerlens Noel, Kevin Knox, and Frank Nilakina, and the money, I believe, worked. Yeah, and it's something that's going to help them for this season. I don't know. And if they've it's... been showcasing uh, Nilakina, by the way. They've actually yeah. been playing him lately. I don't know if Drummond would be a guy that they want to re-sign in the offseason because it could be a big ticket item. And quite honestly, I don't know how much money Drummond's going to get in the offseason, but uh, I think that trade makes a lot of sense because right now they're in a, let's see what we can do right now. As long as it doesn't take any time away from some of the younger guys, I really don't think it would do that. And, uh, and then they can see what happens, you know, in the off season when it comes to Drummond, but they're not giving up too much for him. And it's a team that, you know, they haven't made the playoffs in forever. I mean, they're not a team that, that wants to be in a lottery situation, regardless of how good this draft is going to be. And, Hey, if, if that means, I mean, we, we don't expect to win a championship this year, but Hey, you want to make sure that you get into the playoffs. I think Drummond would be a good move to help them uh, get that goal. Yeah. That's what I'm saying too. And they would keep his bird, right? So if they would want to do it, then why, you know, like why not try it? And, and the Knicks are an interesting case because they don't have to, to match all that salary. Yeah. Like they have $15 million in cap room. So they can do it if they want to. They can do uh, a lot of different things if they want yeah. to. Like they have a lot of flexibility there. They, so that they was can, just one. That, that, yeah. and, and Andre Drummond apparently had expressed an interest uh, of being there. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there was some report. So if, if the Knicks really want to make a move where they take on a guy that another team doesn't want for salary reasons and um, they don't have they to literally, do they, would literally, they would literally be sending pieces out that don't play. Yeah, but I'm just maybe, saying, maybe put Austin Rivers in there or something too. Right. I don't know if it works. But the Knicks but. could make a move like this. They could make another move where they'll take on somebody else's, you know, player that they don't want to pay, and they'll take on that salary and get a pick out of it as well. They have that flexibility because of the cap space they have right now, and they can kind of take a look at a guy. So I mean, or they could try to make you know another move for somebody that could help them this season and beyond. That's not Andre Drummond. So I mean, I think the Knicks are in a position where they, there's a lot of things that they could do. Leading up to the trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to RJ Barrett, by the way. Very, very, very much so flying under the radar as that, you know, second slash third guy. Um, I know that everyone wants him to be the the savior, but I like this this path that he's on, this gradual development. He's very consistent in it. If you look at the the difference in statistics um just from last year to this. It's just a steady improvement. It's nothing flashy that's going to jump off the page, but he's improving as a three-point shooter. He's improving as a scorer, um, improving as a playmaker. And I think just in his skill set, he's more, he's going to be more of that gradual jump guy. And then one, one year, we're just going to see it. and It's going to hit us right in the face. Like he's, he's definitely got, he's got the goods. He's got the goods. Um, Who's your team in the West? My team in the West. 
Whew, it's between two Southwest teams. Uh, I already mentioned Dallas, and we've gone into Dallas, so we're not, I'm not going to go that direction. It's between San Antonio and Memphis, and I'll, I'll just spend a little time on both. San Antonio, they had the the, the COVID issues that have, you know that held them out for for uh, a good week, um, and didn't let them play their games. But I just, I think they they are so sneaky, man. <laughs> I think they are so sneaky. Um, and Pop is somebody who loves to play his, you know, young guys. Like, I, I know they're out with the, you know, the protocols right now. Guys like uh, Devin Vassell, their, their first round pick. Derek White, obviously a huge part of them. Um, and, you know, had just barely been playing uh, after coming back from injury. Well, I shouldn't say barely playing, but Barry ha- barely has played games. Uh, since coming back from injury, uh, Dejounte Murray, man, I, I love, I love, I love this dude. I, I think, I think he's gonna be on the cusp of that that star uh, guard. And you look at the numbers, and and you're probably like, uh, you know what? Okay, so so he scores 15, dishes out dishes out five, grabs seven boards a game. If you just watch him defensively, how intense he is. And how improving he is uh, as an offensive player, like it's it's nice. Uh, it, and and he is not afraid of contact, and that's something that's really good, uh, especially coming back from injury. Uh, that's good. Uh, I love you know a foundational piece like like Keldon Johnson really coming to his own. He loves to catch and then drive. Uh, it's it's been a very quick quick uprising for him. We, we got to talk about the vets. DeMar DeRozan, very, you know, much so could be arguably a, a all-star snub this season just because of where the, where the team is in the standings. Um, he's just committed to this consistent. He, he's so good, and, he, and I feel like he should be so much more respected than what he is. I know he has, you know, you know an off night every once in a while, but he means so much to that team. Especially, especially because he's playing a role for two right now. Because Lamarcus Aldridge, I feel like, is almost on his last leg with this team at least. Uh, has not nearly played up to the standard of a Lamarcus Aldridge that that we know. That's also, you know, like his his decrease in in production definitely has to do with the others' development. But at the same time, uh, you know, defensively. And as a, a weapon, I feel like he could be better. Um, but this team, I, I, I'm just a huge fan. And I love, I love when guys get opportunities like Lucas Simonic, uh, somebody who, you know, was making waves in the G League. Uh, I'm, I'm very much so looking forward to see his future with them. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, Kata beats Diop, get more playing time. Uh, not just because I'm an Ohio State guy, just because I also think he has a lot to offer to this team, um, especially just you know with the second unit. Um, and then like I know I'm talking about every guy on the roster, but I, we haven't talked about them. Uh, they they are just they've got a lot of depth in a weird way though because they don't have that many vets, but they do have depth. I don't know. I just think they're very team centric. 
uh, if you have an opinion on them, um, you can, you know, rebut. And then I just want to get into the Grizz. We'll get into the Grizz real quick. Okay. Uh, the Grizz, same thing. They've been battling injuries all year long. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has yet to appear in a game. <laughs> They're 16 and 15. You know, I'm surprised at how good they've been because, I mean, I expected John Morant to take a leap, but I really thought that this team was going to be another year away. And Jaw's not really. Okay, so Jaw is the leader of this team and he is doing, you know, what he's doing. He needs to develop a jumper, uh, a reliable jumper, because it's it's been tough for him beyond the arc. Uh, That said, his skill set kind of doesn't require that uh, to impact the game. Well, there's only uh, so many is, times, though, that a, a smaller guy could go crashing into the paint and all of the big bodies before it starts really taking. Oh, he'll try. He'll try everything, he will. though. He's fearless. He's fearless. Yep. Uh, I want to shout out Jonas Valanciunas. I think I think this dude is is bringing it every single night. Uh, he's been huge for them. Just just being a body, uh, you know, jump hooks, facing up. Whatever they've needed from him, he's given. Um, and, and that's kind of funny because last year there, there were a lot of people questioning with Jaron Jackson Jr. and with Brandon Clark, you know, where does he fit on this team? And then you have, you know, a, a, a savvy young rookie like, like Xavier Tillman coming into the fold who's more of a modern type of center. Like Jonas has held his own this year. I, I think he's been tremendous. Um, I, you don't know what you're going to get from Dylan Brooks every night just because he's, he's that type of player. Uh, but he has his nights where, where he could just go off for 30. Kyle Anderson's been really good. Kyle Anderson's been really good. I'm, I'm just looking forward to Justice Winslow and his growth curve still because he's only 24. This is going to be his uh, you know, sixth year in the league. Uh, first time with a new team that, that wasn't Miami. But I'm looking forward to, to seeing his curve just on the offensive end. We know we can do it defensively, uh, but he's, I, he's fun. I just want to see this team healthy. <laughs> I want to see what they can do yeah, if yeah. they're, you know, 100%. And I wonder how many starting laps they've had. Let's, let's see. Let's see well, we starting. didn't see it last year. And we're not seeing it again this year. And wow, look at this. As injured as they've been, they've only employed 10 starting lineups. That's amazing. That's yeah, that's pretty crazy. Well, that's because one of their biggest injuries hasn't played all year in Jackson. Yeah. Which is crazy that they that he hasn't played and they're still in the position that they're in. Defensively, they can they can make some noise. They're that guy they're really him, solid, and, him and Morant. You could see the chemistry between them very, very quickly. And oh, yeah. it it sucks that we don't get to see that play out right now. And hopefully Jackson gets healthy and you know we see him this year and he's at least healthy going into next year because that's a one-two punch that they can really build around, you know, and then add pieces, you know, to that team. You know, but you know what that shows? That that shows that the other guys have stepped up. They have the other, the other guys like Grayson Allen. I mean, Grayson Allen, I know, you know, only averaging nine points, but you know, shooting 40% from beyond the arc on nearly five attempts a game. Yeah, he's doing Desmond nice things Bain. when he's not tripping anybody. Ah, yes. The tripping. Hopefully he doesn't do that at the NBA level as much. He hasn't, but he's done it a few times. He'll, he'll get under people's skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Desmond Bain, the rookie, shooting 45% beyond the arc. Like, 
Tyus Jones, I think, is the steadiest player they have on that team, just coming off the bench and really, really being a playmaker and making things happen for other guys. And lo and behold, he's still only 24 years old, even though he feels like he's been in the league for a long time. Uh, and then D'Anthony De- Melton, what he did last night uh, in, their, in their win over the Wizards, uh, he's somebody who makes a huge difference on the defensive end and somebody I've been, you know, pounding the table for, for a long time, but three straight games and double figures, um, 16, 14 and 20. And then you look at the assist numbers, uh, you know, five assists in two straight games, like, and he's not typically one who makes his impact in the, in the box score. He's somebody who's make the right play and, and do his thing, but he's been a little bit more aggressive as of late. Uh, I, I just, I like this roster. I like these Southeast, these Southwest teams. I do, uh, Spurs, Spurs and Grizzlies. So keep an eye out for them, uh, in the, the second half of the season. I just think that they're going to soar up those standings. One of the things that stands out to me in a general perspective of this first half of the season is just when you really look back at it now, how many guys went into the season out of shape? because they didn't know the season was going to start as early as it, as it did. And how many injuries we've had because of that. And then on top of that, just the re, the, how much COVID has affected the season, because how many teams have we seen that had it, you know, horribly affect them. And then now we're just trying to get, you know, on a roll. They're, they're trying to get things together. I mean, it's happened in Washington. It's happened in Dallas. It's happened in a couple other places as well. And it just totally disrupted some teams. And um, and we'll have to see how they make up the, all of the games in the second half. I mean, there's there's going to be some teams that are going to be very, very busy over a couple of weeks period. Five games and seven nights, six yeah, games and, and eight nights, whatever that's the hell. Yeah. not ideal, but it's something that they've got to do. So, And, you know, like I said, when it came to injuries, I think a lot of guys just weren't in shape when the season started. They didn't have that long offseason. They didn't get to get in the proper shape that they wanted when they came back. And it, it showed. And I want to see if that continues to have a big effect in the second half of the season to where maybe even some other guys that haven't been injured yet, but the wear and tear might catch up with them a little bit quicker than it normally would. Hopefully not. Um, but I think it's something to look out for. I think so too. And, and in the second half of the season, like you were saying, man, it's going to be bunched up. <laughs> it's going to be real bunched up. And I think uh, the coaches probably aren't too fond of that, but, uh, is what it is. We're, we're going to have to see how these teams respond to this, this responsibility to stay healthy, to keep their bodies right, to maintain their strength, conditioning, all of that stuff, the off the court responsibilities to make sure that they don't get injured or don't, you know, get burnt out or, or lose themselves. Like that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, especially uh, for teams that are at the bottom of the standings. And if they, you know, fold, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about. Okay, Brian. You want to start? We, want to talk about the all-star weekend, your favorite uh, weekend of the year? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so I'm a <laughs> you little sound bit so hyped. Listen, I'm usually hyped around all-star uh, based on what the contests are going to be. I'm a little bit, a little bit, on it, you know what I'm saying? Okay, like, from, from an average fan or even somebody that doesn't follow the NBA that much, the slam dunk contest 
let's go let's is, go through is, let's go through each participant in in the challenges sure and then we'll pick our winners and then we can poo poo on the event okay well there's only one in particular that is uh lacking star power shall we say okay skills challenge we've got robert covington luka Doncic, chris paul julius randall domas sabonis nikola vucevic who do you have winning the skills challenge? It's weird because there's a lot of bigs right there. There are. I to me, it comes down to Luca and Chris Paul. Remember, it was Bam last year. Yes, uh, I think it comes down to Luca and Chris Paul. Uh, I'm going to take Luca. Okay, mm, that's. I feel like it's a very obvious pick. Too obvious of a pick for me. I will roll with. Now, you know, a big man won it last year. Let, let's go with a guard this year. I'll go with CP. Okay. I was, I was leaning Domas there, but, but let's go with CP. That's, that's the wily vet. He knows, it's always he knows weird when you've got like big guys. You got to think about who makes good bounce passes. And that's why Domas is in my list. Right. Like, Cause that bounce pass is the biggest one. But remember when the skills challenge, it used to always be smaller guys. And then it'd be like, you'd have one big guy. You'd be like, Ooh, that's kind of weird. And then now it's, it's kind of reversed itself the direction of our league man i'm surprised Jokic isn't in this <laughs> well that's because it would take him a half an hour to go up and down the court a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> such a good <laughs> such a fascinating player uh three-point contest we've got devin booker jalen brown stephen curry zach levine donovan mitchell and jason tatum two my Celtics favorite event of the weekend i always love the three-point shooting contest two, two in there you know what i you know what i wish was in this though is that- Why isn't Seth Curry in this? <laughs> we we had Seth versus Steph last year. I know. I want it again. You want it again. Yes. Um, who's going to win this? I'm just going to go chalk, I guess. I want to see Steph win this, so I'm going to go with Steph. I'm also going to go with Steph. It's If there was a challenger, I would put Booker in there, and my dark horse would be Zach. Yeah. Um, but just a quick release, and... The experience in the contest. That's why I'm going with Curry and then Booker as my runner-up. Curry's always like hits, you know, 15 in a row or misses 10 in a row kind of this thing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, Brian. Oh. Let's go ahead and name the slam dunk contest contestants. I think clearly, the clearly they were banking on one big name in this. That did not want to do it. Let's put it this way. You know you're in a tough sled. When Alex Caruso turns you down and says, now nah, I want to rest up for the second half. Oh, okay. So we have Anthony Simons, big fan, mm-hmm. by the way, that that's, that is ant, by the way, a lot of people call Anthony Edwards ant. Anthony Simons is his nickname is ant. Uh, so don't get those two confused. Uh, but Anthony Simons of the Blazers is one. He's got he's got ups, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Two way player for the Indiana Pacers, Cassius Stanley, uh, who is known for his work at Duke, and then the one quote unquote star name is Obi Toppin from the New know. York Knicks. You're stretching there a little bit. Uh, think, dude, looking at the other two names, well, the stars are the judges. And I'm waiting for one of them to like make the judges. Do you have the judges in front of you? I do. So okay. the judges are Dominic Wilkins, Spud Webb, 
Jason Richardson, D Brown and Josh Smith. Okay. All of them have won the contest at least once. And then Wilkins and Richardson have won it twice. I think if Jason Richardson competed in this contest, he could win. <laughs> Shout out to Jay Rich. Still not old enough. Still not old enough for us to consider you in the past. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, he's not even the biggest name, but I mean, it's nothing against the guys that are in it. Good for them. And I hope it's they just, do well. The thing I it's thought just, to myself was just why? Why? Like, can we just get rid of the slam dunk contest? No. No. I, no. I think it needs to go. Because last season was amazing. Last season was amazing. Derek Jones Jr., Aaron Gordon. You know, like th- that was. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Wait, was Aaron Gordon in last year's? No. Who did they take it? Who? I got to look at last year's contest. Yeah, please do. And the year, the year before that was a little eh, but like Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine made it good. I think DJJ is a, like DJJ is a perfect dunk contest dunker and he's a perfect in-game dunker. Um, but I feel like you don't have to just abolish it. You can just say this year, let's not do it. Maybe we'll do a game of horse instead. Like that, that's my thinking. I, I'm not thinking get rid of it altogether. Like, but this one, that's just like, oh, why? Sorry, my bad. Um, oh, yeah, it was Aaron Gordon. It was Aaron Gordon who everyone yeah. thought got robbed. So you're right. Um, he leaped over Taco Fall. Yeah. The year before that, uh, Hami D did some good things. John Collins tried an airplane, and I actually talked about that with him. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, what did you think? I was like, ah, eh, it was a little corny. Um, you know, like there, you know, previous years, the in-betweens weren't as great. I'll give you that. Like, I don't even remember Donovan Mitchell winning a dunk contest. I know. I, I really don't, mem- don't remember that. It's rough. I mean, they wanted Zion in there. They were trying to get another big name and they just couldn't do it. I mean, I, I like the three point contest just because especially now the league is, is all about shooting and to watch, these incredible shooters go out there and be part of the contest. Now, mind you, I don't like the way that they change the rules on that. Um, but I mean, I still like watching that contest. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. They, they overthink it way too much, but I'm interested in how the rules are with three players. <laughs> are they just going to have a round of four, you know, a, one round, they do four dunks and then we make the decision. Like I think I, I think they'll each get two dunks and then we'll get to the final two and then so somebody would be eliminated and then and then we do another two each. If I had to guess. Oh man. But yeah, I, that's, I don't that's know depressing. what the rules are for it. So it's depressing. Yeah. All right. But but on that note, we are going into all-star weekend. So everyone take your breaks. We've got today's games, we've got Thursday's games, and then it's a five-day break from NBA hoops, except for the All-Star game this weekend. So make sure you tune in. That doesn't count. Nobody plays in that game. <laughs> <laughs> tune into Atlanta and to TNT and watch the watered-down dunk contest. Just kidding. No, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm, I'm interested to see how the All-Star game goes, especially with the Elam ending again. And small tease, talked to the inventor of the Elam ending, Nick Elam, uh, yesterday, actually. And um, that will be going up on basketballnews.com. Our Q&A it was really interesting stuff. If you don't know what the Elam ending is, you're going to want to tune in because it's almost changed the way that games end. 
trying to take away the fouling, try to take away the bog down period of playing against the clock. So make sure you go check that interview out when it is up. Of course, we are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. I have 10 other great podcasts for you to listen to, including this one. Neat and Unfiltered with Kenyon Martin and Jada Kiss, the Posecast with James Posey. Dishes and Dimes with the ladies. The Rematch with Tan Thomas. The Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. That is the hottest podcast in basketball. Make sure you go listen to it. The Alex Kennedy Podcast with Alex Kennedy. Just had a great guest, Bobby Portis of the Milwaukee Bucks, talking about how good of a season he's had individually and what the Bucks can do. The Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, and of course, the follow-through with Clips and Drew. You can also follow us on social media, at Basketball News, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com slash basketballnews.com, if that doesn't hard enough to follow. I am on Twitter at Spin Davies. Brian is on Twitter at, it, it, at Brian Fritz. Spit it out. And on Instagram, I am at Spin Davies, and he is on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. And I don't think I left anything out. So until the second half of the season, keep it at 94. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. Tell your friends about us because we would love to have more listeners. But until the second half of the season, we say goodbye.